All right, had a little battery issue there. I apologize for that. Um, good morning. Welcome to Redemption Church. If you're here this morning uh, selling, celebrating Father's Day with your family, with your father, welcome. Glad that you're here. Um, we know that we have um, people out celebrating Father's Day um, with their fathers all over the place. Um, but thank you guys for being here this morning. Uh, welcome to Redemption Church. And uh, in the time that we have over the next few minutes, um, we're going to be talking um, about Matthew chapter 6 and continuing in the sermon series that we've been going through, the Sermon on the Mount. Um, But let me just start off and acknowledge that today is Father's Day. And uh, while we're not specifically um, dealing with fathers in our sermon, uh, I do want to take a minute, acknowledge the fact that it's Father's Day. Um, I have another microphone coming back. Okay. We're good? There we go. Um, So I just want to take a moment and uh, acknowledge the fact that it is Father's Day to acknowledge that we have uh, a great Heavenly Father who loves us um, and a great Heavenly Father who gives us fathers here on earth to love and serve and shepherd us and to provide for us. Um, And if you're here as a father this morning, you've been called to a great task Um, That's your charge and your obligation to provide and love and shepherd for your family. And so I want to encourage you in that, um, not beat you up about it, but just encourage you in that task. Um, Today is also um, one week after the worst mass shooting in American history. Um, It's a shooting that targeted a very specific group of people in Orlando um, last week. And I'm going to address that, and we're going to talk about that a little bit later this morning. Um, But I want you guys to understand that we're not blind to the hurt, the pain, the mourning, and the conversation that followed the events of of last weekend. If you have any social media presence or paid attention to the news at all, you've seen the conversation unfold in a very public manner. Um, And it's created the opportunities for Christians and God's people to speak into these situations. Um, And it's something that we should take very seriously Um, And so we'll talk about that a little bit later this morning. Um, But for now, we're going to dive into the passage that we set aside uh, many months ago to address uh, Matthew chapter 6 at the end of Matthew chapter 6. Before we do that, um, let's pray. Holy Father, thank you for giving us the opportunity to be present this morning. God, thank you that you are our heavenly Father and that you provide for us, you take care of us, you shepherd us and lead us. God, thank you for the gift of fathers here on earth. And God, I pray over the next few minutes as we look at your word from Matthew chapter 6 and specifically talk about some things that you teach us uh, about worry and anxiety and um, seeking after your kingdom and seeking after you. God, I pray that you would be at work in our hearts and minds, that you would be at work drawing us to you, uh, that you would be at work helping us to know you. God, I pray as I stand on this stage and talk about your word, God, that that you would be at work, that, um, God, that I would be an instrument of your grace and mercy, an instrument of your love and the gospel. God, I, I fully recognize that what I have to say is of little importance, but God, what you would have to say is of utmost importance. And so, God, I pray that we would hear from you 
during this time in this place this morning. We ask this in the name of our Lord and Savior, your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Matthew chapter 6, if you have a Bible and want to turn there, Matthew chapter 6, we're going to look at verses 24 through 35. Um, it's, this is a passage that when you read it, I think it's a pretty easy passage to understand what Jesus is laying out for us to see. What becomes difficult is putting what Jesus tells us in this passage into practice, actually obeying it, actually following, following through with what Jesus has called us to hear. But Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, which is a holdover from last week through verse 34. And this is what God's word says. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things. Your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble." This is God's word. Let me ask you a question right at, the outside, right at the outset. What do you worry about? What causes you the most anxiety in life? And right now, in this moment, what are you anxious about? Now, I don't mean like medically diagnosed crippling anxiety, but I do mean anxiety that is common to us all. What do you worry about? What are you anxious about? O over the years of my time um, in ministry and in this church, I've seen people worry and be anxious about everything imaginable, about money, about jobs, about relationships, about how they're viewed by others, about bills, about school, about making sure that they're following God's will, about making decisions, about leaving Augusta and moving somewhere else, and any number of other normal, everyday issues. Anxiety and worry on some level is common to us all. It's part of the human condition. And I, I'm not exempt from that. You know, there are a lot of nights that I don't sleep very well. My wife can attest to this. There, I just lay in bed and think about things. And I don't feel like I'm anxious. I don't feel like I'm worrying. But that's probably um, part of what's going on. Just laying in bed thinking about things. And I, and I have to tell you, over um, 
the last decade that I've been in ministry in this church in some form or fashion, this church has caused me no little amount of anxiety. Um, I lay in bed at night and think about decisions that have to be made, about bills that have to be paid, about conflict that needs to be resolved, about relationships that need to be mended, um, ways that we as a church can continue to be on mission with the gospel in the city of Augusta. But even on a more personal level, uh, I remember um, a little over eight years ago, uh, my daughter was due to be born on New Year's Day of 2008, Laurel, my um, youngest daughter. And uh, about a month before Laurel was born, the company that I worked for at the time uh, closed their doors, closed up shop. So I left work on Friday, came back to work on Monday morning, walked in, and the owner said, hey, we closed the business on Friday afternoon, um, so you don't have a job anymore. And I remember being uh, a month out from Laurel being born and just the tremendous amount of anxiety and worry that caused. God provided a job for me, and I started work about a week after Laurel was born, um, but, but I remember the tremendous amount of anxiety with when is this child going to sleep at night? When is this child going um, to not cry any longer? How am I going to make it through this new job and not get fired in the first two weeks that I'm there? It was a pretty intense time of anxiety. And yet, the gospel had, and the gospel still has, something to say about my anxiety my worry, and the things that it has to say I probably missed during this period of time in my life. The gospel has something to say to any and all of us that worry and obsess about the stuff of life. Within the context of Matthew chapter 6, verse 25 introduces a brand new section or passage a brand new section of this passage. Our our passage today is intimately connected to the first part of Matthew chapter 6 that we've been talking about over the last few weeks. It can't be understood outside of that context, the context of prayer, the context context of fasting, the context of um, you can't serve both God and money and some other things that Jesus says at the beginning of Matthew chapter 6. Uh, The connective word of therefore used in verse 25, it's why I read verse 24 where Jesus says, you can't serve both God and money. The connective word of therefore in verse 25 begins the process of laying out the logical implications of serving God rather than money with prayer and fasting and all those other things included. Jeremy dealt with some of those things last week and the weeks before. And so this command in verse 25, where Jesus says, do not be anxious about your life. This command is the central thrust of this entire passage, this entire paragraph here. And, and, And I want you to remember right at the outset that anxiety is an emotion. It's not necessarily a decision we make. It's just sort of something that happens in our life. But Jesus, in laying out this command and laying out the things that happens right after um, this initial command, sort of 
uh, I think Jesus knows that when we take this truth to heart, when we apply it to our life, it will have an effect on our emotions. It will have an effect on our decisions. It will, has, it will have an effect on the things that we think and feel and do. Right at the beginning, in verse 25, Jesus states the intent of the passage negatively, do not worry. Later in the passage, in verse 33, Jesus states it positively, seek God, his kingdom, all these things will be added to you. The command to not worry is appropriately understood as a command to stop an action in progress. Stop worrying. Stop being anxious about the basic things of life. It's obvious to me that Jesus understood something about the basic human condition, that things outside of our control make us anxious. Things outside of our control make us worry. And in this passage, Jesus isn't telling us to not plan or to not make the necessary preparations for life. But after talking about all the needs that we obsess about, food, clothing, companionship, and whatever else that we can throw into these categories, Jesus said this, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. What Jesus is essentially saying is, instead of focusing on these things that we obsess about, Jesus says, focus on preparing yourself for the kingdom of God and doing what God is asking of you, and trust God to supply. Essentially, Jesus says, have faith. Right, so it goes back to what I said at the beginning of this passage. It's a lot easier to understand what Jesus says than to put it into practice. It's a lot easy, I mean, it's easier to hear Jesus say, don't worry, have faith, seek the kingdom of God. We all think, I got that. I, yeah, I, I get it, I get it. Don't worry, trust God, don't worry, trust God. It's a whole different ball game to actually put that into practice. But Jesus is not disconnected from us as if we have, as if he doesn't understand our needs. He, he made us. He made us to need food. He made us to have to eat. He knows that we need clothes, that we need all of these basic things related to life. But God tells us to seek him and his kingdom and focus on becoming who we are supposed to be for him and then trust him to supply our needs. Don't focus on the needs, focus on the provider, right? That's essentially what Jesus is saying. Don't focus on the things that I, that I know you need, focus on me. Let me break this passage down real quickly before I highlight the ways in which the gospel, uh, in which I think Jesus lays out the ways in which the gospel has something to say about our worry and anxiety. In verse 25, Jesus says, don't worry. And then immediately following that prohibition against worrying, Jesus says in verse 25, don't worry because life is more than food and clothing. In verse 26, don't worry because God cares for your own. He is your father. In verse 27, don't worry because your worry is not going to change anything. In verse 28 through 30, don't worry because God takes care of his creation. 
In verse 31, we have another command to not worry, another prohibition against it. And Jesus gives two more reasons for not worrying. We are told that anxiousness is exhibited by unbelievers, not people who know God as Father, but by people who don't. We're also told that God knows the needs of his people. In verse 33, we have a command to seek God's kingdom, and there's a promise that comes with it. All these things will be added to you. And then in verse 34, we have another prohibition to not worry. There are two reasons. Tomorrow will worry about its own things, and sufficient for today is its own trouble. Over and over, Jesus says, don't worry, and he gives reasons to not worry. And Jesus says, trust me instead, and he gives reasons to trust him instead. The central uh, command of this passage, it's, it's right in front of our eyes. Don't worry, don't be anxious, trust God. Don't worry, don't be anxious, God's going to take care of you. Don't worry, don't be anxious, God has it under control. It's a lot harder to do those things. Don't be anxious, trust God. That's easier said than done because if we look around us, there's probably a room full of Christians who get anxious about all sorts of things. Maybe you're a planner and you always like to be in control. Maybe you've had a really troubling past and you're haunted by that past. Maybe you're in a really difficult season of life. Maybe there are a thousand other reasons to be anxious. But whatever your reason to be anxious is, Jesus knows, and unlike me, Jesus can provide the cure for that anxiety and that worry. We find that cure in the gospel. In this passage that we've been talking about, I think there are three very clear applications of the gospel to our anxious situations. Look with me, if you will, at Matthew 26 through 30, uh, verses 26 through 30. Look at the birds of the air, they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to a span of life? Why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive, Tomorrow is thrown into the oven. Will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? When you and I, when we're struggling with anxiety, one of the things that Jesus says to do is to look around at the creation around us. Embedded in the physical world around us are constant theological reminders that God doesn't abandon the work of his hands. The birds of the air, the flowers of the field, and countless other living things point to the loving care of God. At my house, um, we eat uh, all of our meals in the kitchen. Uh, We actually don't even have a table in the dining room. We use the dining room for another purpose. But in our kitchen, we have a table um, that's right beside uh, two windows that look out into our backyard. And several years ago, uh, Amy put a couple of bird feeders and a birdhouse right outside that window. Um, and so when we're sitting at the table, 
usually we have the window open and we're looking outside into the backyard. Um, and something has happened over the past few years in spring and into the summer. We have these bluebird families that come and move into the little house that's right outside the window. So when we're sitting there eating our um, delicious chicken quesadillas or steak or whatever it might be, and we look out the window, um, over the past couple of months, we've constantly seen a, a mother bluebird or a father bluebird sitting on the house or sitting right outside the house with a cricket in its mouth or a worm or a grub. And it doesn't look nearly as appetizing as what I'm eating. But right there, outside my window, with my kids looking at it, with us seeing a bluebird with some food in its mouth, it's literally a theological reminder from creation that God takes care of his own. Right? It didn't occur to me when I was, until I was reading this passage, it's Father's Day. I feel like a terrible father because for months and even for years now, we've sat at the table and we've watched these bluebirds bring little grubs and crickets and grasshoppers and disgusting things for their bluebird babies to eat. And it's a picture of the gospel, right? <laughs> right outside my kitchen window with my kids sitting there watching, it's a picture of the gospel. God is our father. God takes care of of us. If God cares that much for the bluebird outside my window, how much more does he care for those who are made in his image? Yeah, I missed it, right? I missed that image from creation that's right outside my window. God takes care of the birds of the field and the grass and the lilies, birds of the air and whatever. And I missed it. If God cares that much for the bluebird outside my window, how much more would he care for those who are made in his image? If God feeds and clothes animals and plants without an eternal soul, how much more will he provide for those covered by the costly blood of his son, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for us? You have reason to rest and not be anxious about the basic things of life because creation preaches to you and to me a gospel of God's divine faithfulness. Why should we allow ourselves to fear the future when we know that all of our days are held in the wise and loving hands of a sovereign Savior in the hands of a sovereign king. That's what Jesus reminds us of here. Don't be anxious about the things of life because I'm going to take care of you. And here's a beautiful picture right outside your window of a bird that I'm taking care of. It's the gospel of creation. There's a second thing that Jesus teaches us in this passage uh, in verses 31 and 32. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things. Your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Unlike, believe, unlike unbelievers, unlike people who don't know God as Father and Jesus as Lord and Savior, Christians have a heavenly Father 
who willingly, faithfully, and eternally takes on the burden of our provision. It's a good reminder for Father's Day for those of us who are in the room. We have, uh, uh, for all of us in the room, but, but for fathers specifically, God takes care of his family. Our, our Heavenly Father provides for us willingly and faithfully, and that's the model for earthly fathers, the father who constantly gives of himself for his family, even to the point of death on a cross. It, it makes sense that people who don't know God as father would worry. That makes sense. There's not someone sovereign to take care of them. There's not someone in control of everything to take care of them who, who made everything. But, but for those of us who have the assurance of divine provision, being anxious doesn't, doesn't make a lot of sense. Christians need not be anxious because we have a father who knows exactly what we need and is in the process of delivering exactly what we need, exactly when we need it, and in the very location that we need it. Someone once said, God is rarely early, but never late. We have a family of believers around us that God uses over and over to help in our time of need. We, we have a father in heaven and brothers and sisters all around us, right? We were recently able to help some of our brothers and sisters in Uganda. If you've been around Redemption for a while, you know that we've been involved with Sojourn Church in Kampala, and we were recently able to send some money over to help with the family development ministry, development ministry and send some kids to school and do some other things. We have a, a big family around us. We have a, a father in heaven. It's the gospel of our family. You may not have all that you want in life. Life probably won't look like you want it to all the time, maybe none of the time. But that doesn't mean that God isn't providing for us. You know, I, I don't want to have a mortgage, but I do. What I really want is a big farm um, with lots of horses and cows and pigs and about a hundred little pygmy goats. You've seen these little pygmy goats jumping around? And here's the kicker. This is what I really want. I want about 50 fainting goats. You guys know what I'm talking about? Nothing would make me happier. I'm going to give you a little insight into my soul here. Nothing would make me happier than being able to walk outside and take an air horn and blow it at about 50 fainting goats and watch them all fall over at the same time. Right? When I'm having a bad day, I would walk outside, blow that horn, watch them all fall over. I'd walk back in. Everything would be great. <laughs> I don't have all those things. But I do have a loving and caring father. And anxiety doesn't belong to God's children. It belongs elsewhere. It, it doesn't make sense for children of the Most High God to worry about the basic things of life because God is our provider. God is our father. A, a lot of times our anxiety comes from the fact that we think that we know better than our heavenly father. So we start to put plans and schemes into place to get what we need to take care of ourselves. If this just happens, we start to make deals with God. God, if you'll do this and this and blah, 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 blah. But Jesus instead says, seek after me, trust me, you have a heavenly father who will take care of you. Seek after me. Trust me. You have a heavenly father who will take care of you. 
That's the gospel of family that Jesus lays out for us. Third thing, Matthew six thirty three through 34. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Paul David Tripp says this, the call to seek God's kingdom is in itself a grace because it's only when I seek God's kingdom that I'm free from seeking my own. I I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but there's a direct correlation between the kingdom of God and the anxiety of our life. Most if not all of our anxiety results from attempting to sit on the throne of our life and wonder if we can work things out for ourselves. The, the most confident people I've ever met in my life were those who rested in the provision and in the care of God. My first year of college, I went to Columbia Bible College. It's now known as Columbia International University, about an hour away in Columbia, South Carolina. And one of the things that I found out when I went to Columbia Bible College, this is a big school, um, maybe a 1,000 students. Oh, well, it's not a huge school, but a, a bit. Okay, it's a small school. It's a small school. Um, it was big for me, let me say that, because I came from a high school. My graduating class in high school was about 26 or 28 people. So for me, it was a huge school. Um, in Columbia Bible College at the time, I, I don't know if they still follow this practice, but they would set out their budget for the next year. Um, and uh, usually the amount of tuition and everything coming in would never quite equal what they were going to need the next year. So they made a very specific point of saying, God, this is the amount of money that we think we're going to bring in next year. This is how much we actually need. God, we're trusting you to fill in the gap. We don't know where it's going to come from. We don't know how it's going to get here. But for us to continue to operate as an institution, God, we're, we're going to put our faith in you to fill in this gap. And it, it, I, I didn't get it at the time. I would think these professors, if 10% of their salary has to be filled in and they don't know where it's coming from, that requires, a little bit of, that requires a little bit of faith. That requires a little bit of trusting God and seeking after God. And yet those professors and administrators at Columbia Bible College when I were there were some of the most confident, most godly people that I've ever met. I didn't get it at the time. I'm not sure that I still do. But they were resting in the fact that God was going to provide for them and care for them. The, the most unanxious believers that I've ever interacted with were the ones who truly submitted their life to the will of their father. And the most anxious people I've been around, the most anxious people I've counseled, were driven by earthly desires and were so forgetful of the gospel. This is true. It's the reason that we talk about the gospel all the time at Redemption. My favorite criticism of Redemption over the years has been here at this church, we talk about the gospel too much. That's fine with me. The gospel that saved us is the same gospel that sustains us. The grace that saved us is the same grace that sustains us. And so when we forget the gospel, when we forget the gospel that God is our Father, when we forget the gospel that God 
takes care of us, when we forget the gospel that God provides a family around us, we forget the gospel that God calls us to seek him above all else. When we forget that God is our provider, when we forget that God is our father, when we forget that God is our king, which are all truths of the gospel, we forget those things, the natural inclination of the human heart is going to be to be worrying and to be anxious all the time. But the gospel teaches us God provides for us, God is our father, God is our king, God is sovereign. And it's remembering those things. It's not forgetting them, but remembering them that allows us, that creates the opportunity for us to continue to seek after Christ and to put our faith in him. Instead of worrying, instead of being anxious, Jesus is calling us to remember that God is our provider. God is our king. God is is our Father. God surrounds us with the family. God takes care of his own. It may not ever look like we want it to look, but we have a promise from God that he does. Uh, I'm going to read this passage. Um, This is a late edition, so it won't be on the TVs. This is from Lamentations chapter 3. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth. Instead of focusing on the things of the world, instead of focusing on our basic needs, instead of focusing on the things that we don't have, that we want, God calls us to remember him. Instead of worrying, God calls us to remember the gospel. Instead of worry, God calls us to seek him. How do we seek him? We seek him by turning to his word. We seek him through prayer. We seek him being, by being part of a community of faith where the people around us encourage us in the gospel to live in light of the gospel, to live in light of gospel truths and to remind one another of the gospel. We seek God in those ways. But let me encourage you specifically to seek God through prayer with your friends your DNA groups, your missional communities, your families, seek God through prayer. Philippians 4.6 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Instead of worry, remember the gospel. Instead of worry, seek God. Pray, turn to his word, turn to his family. Instead of worry, let your family know what you're anxious about. Let your family know what's going on in your life. Let your family know what your needs are. And your family around you, and by that I mean your church family, has the opportunity to speak into your life, to help provide, to help care, to help pray, and to be involved in your life. That's part of what the gospel is about. Instead of worry, remember the gospel. 
Instead of worry, seek God. Instead of worry, turn to the family that God has given you. Let them know what you're anxious about. Let them know what you're worrying about. And see if God doesn't have a way to provide through your family. Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 34, Jesus says, don't worry, seek me. It's hard to do that. It's incredibly hard to do that, to not worry and to seek God. It's difficult. Instead of worrying, remember the gospel. Instead of worrying, seek God. Instead of worry, let your family know what's going on. Um, We're going to enter into a time of response now where we have an opportunity uh, to do a couple of things. One of those things would be to sit right where we are, to reflect on what God has been saying to us and teaching us this morning through his word, to spend some time in prayer, uh, to spend some time reflecting. And so I would invite you to do that. The band is going to come back up as well in just a minute, and they're going to continue to give us the opportunity to worship through singing. Um, So there's an opportunity for us to stand, to sit where we are, to sing and worship in that way as a response to God, our Father, our provider. During this time, you have an opportunity to give. There's a giving basket in the back where as a continued act of worship, you can um, give as God calls you to do so. During this time, there's an opportunity for you to respond by praying. There'll be people in the back who are, um, have a lanyard on that says, can I pray with you? And uh, they'll be there if you need to pray about something um, or know something more, whatever it might be. Those people will be there. And during this time as well, um, we'll have the opportunity to take communion. Uh, every Sunday here at Redemption, we take communion. Um, you can do that by coming up one of these two aisles here take the bread, tear it off, dip it in the wine or juice. And so remember the body of Christ that was broken for us, the blood of Christ that was shed for us. Uh, We take communion here because God is clear in his word that when we do that, we're remembering what Christ has done for us and we're proclaiming to one another that we believe the gospel. We're remembering the gospel, which is part of what God's word has called us to do this morning, to remember the gospel. So Uh, If God gives you the freedom to do so, I would invite you to come and take communion, remembering what Christ has done for us and proclaiming to one another that we believe the gospel. I'm going to pray for us as we move into this time of response. Uh, Over the past several months here at Redemption, we've been praying for several things to happen over the course of 2016. And so I'll pray for some of those things now. But very specifically, we've been praying that God would bring 100 people to know him through the ministry of Redemption Church over the course of the year. And that has uh, begun to happen. We've seen people come to know Christ for the first time. And it's happened in a variety of ways. Uh, But we want to continue to pray for that to happen. We want to continue to pray that the gospel would go forth in our city We want to continue to pray that God would raise up leaders in our midst, that God would strengthen our MCs and replicate our missional communities so that um, the gospel continues to go forth in our city. We want to continue to pray that God um, turns us into a diverse body, a diverse in age and race and in every way um, that we might be reflective of the kingdom of God. And so I'm going uh, to pray for those things now. And, um, and then we'll continue on in our time of response. God, it is, um, it is because of you that we can gather here this morning. It is because of your son 
It is because of um, the work of Christ on the cross that we can be rightly related to you. God, thank you for our reminder this morning from the gospel that you are our Father, that you are our provider, that you are our King, that you are sovereign, and that you've promised to care for us. God, even now as we respond, as we sing, pray, take communion, whatever it might be, God, I pray that you would draw us to yourself. God, I also pray very specifically during this time for, um, for some of the goals that we've laid out in 2016. Goals we think um, originated with you and honor and glorify you and they're coming to fruition. God, we pray that we would continue to see people come to know you for the first time through the ministry and through the life of Redemption Church. God, very specifically, we've asked to see 100 people come to know you this year. God, we pray that you would continue to raise up leaders in our congregation, in our missional communities, that you would strengthen them, that they would be replicated, that the gospel would move forth in our city through missional communities and in other ways as well. God, we pray for you to make our body more diverse, that we would look like your kingdom. God, most importantly, we pray that you would be honored and glorified because of the life and existence of Redemption Church, that you would be made much of that you would receive glory and you would draw people to yourself because we've lifted Jesus high. God, help us to respond to you now, even in this moment. God, we ask this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.